0: adventures and love sex and dating. Tonight we'll have our lucky bachelorette Susie and our lucky bachelor Marty pick their final contestants. They'll have one last time to consider each person and then they'll make their final decision. So are we ready folks? I guess yes. Ladies first Susie. Alright well I think Bachelor 3 is definitely really extravagant so he definitely spoiled me the whole time but on the other hand, Bachelor 1 just seems really playful and childlike. We'd have so much fun together. And then lastly, Bachelor 2 just seems so easygoing. It's just such a tough choice. Could you come back to me? Sure. In the meantime, Marty, why don't you tell us your thoughts? Sure. I definitely enjoy and appreciate the confidence in Bachelorette number one. She really looks like she takes care of herself. Bachelorette number two um, is intimidatingly professional. Um, But I think we'd make such a good couple, a strong power couple. Uh, Bachelorette number three, well, I think she's a perfect match, but for anyone really. Uh, So I'm having a tough time deciding. I understand. It's a dilemma with such quality options up here. You know what? Let's check in with our resident relationship expert, Father Anthony. Father Anthony, what do you think? righty well good morning early afternoon whatever it may be I am happy to be back I hope you guys have missed me yes we missed you very much okay <laughs> for those who are just kind of jumping in here for the first time I have been uh, I was out last week uh, on travel and before that I have, wasn't preaching the f- two weeks before that. So as I mentioned earlier today is I got a whole bunch of stuff that I've been storing up as I've been listening to uh, Michael and Kurt over the past few weeks uh, give their messages right here. And I got a whole bunch of stuff coming right here. We're wrapping up the series sort of today. Next week is actually the the, the final week in it, but it's going to be a Q&A week. So what we've been doing, if you're just kind of jumping in right here, is we've been collecting questions over the past four weeks, and you still have a chance to submit questions today. You can do so on the, on your handout. We'll tell you how you can text them, or email them, or Facebook, or Twitter, or you can do pen and paper in the in the back somewhere today. Whatever it is that you want, you can submit your questions. And next week, you're going to get a chance to hear not just me answer the questions, but we're going to bring back all the speakers, as well as the wives of the speakers. Yeah, that's right. That's right, because they stood up here and said all they wanted was well, bring their wives up here, and let's make sure that what they're saying is the truth, right? So you get a chance to submit questions to the ladies as well as to the men, so make sure you do that today. Now, for today's session, I get, like I said, it's all been in there for several weeks, and it's all coming out today, so I'm going to apologize in advance. Today may not be the most organized and structured message. As you see with the title of today's message, we're talking about the boy, the girl, the ring and the bed, which is basically a smorgasbord, a buffet of everything that I want to tell you about relationships. Everything that I want to get out of my heart, and I don't want this series to finish without me getting a chance to tell you all this stuff. Because if you just kind of tuning in right here, what I said in the very beginning of this series, in week one, is that this series is coming from a heart of love. Believe me. And it's a heart of love for you single people. Married people, I love you too, and we care about you married people, and we wish you all like, the best marriages and things like that. But we said we need to take a few weeks out of our schedule to really, really address the situation that many of our single people find themselves in. And some people said to me, well, Father, that doesn't make sense. The majority of this church is married. Like you look around here, probably 60 70% of the people here are already married. But I say this, single people, we the married people, we care about you. And we love you enough that we're willing to take one for the team. i willing to tell you all the stuff that we wish we had known before we got married. And also what we discovered in the process, married people, correct me if I'm wrong, is that in giving advice to the single people about what they should be prepared for, we learned a lot about how we got into our situation, didn't we? We learned a lot about why we find ourselves in this current state. <clears throat> As we see the things that we may have not understood when we were dating. reason we're doing this series is because I have this funny belief inside my heart, and you may disagree with me. Society disagrees with me. TV shows disagree with me. Maybe all the experiences that you've seen disagree with me, but I have this this strange belief in my head that marriage is the best, and that when marriage is done right, And when marriage is done according to God's standard, marriage is the best. And because I love you single people, I want you to have this great kind of a marriage. Like I said, you may never have seen that kind of marriage before. Maybe your parents didn't have that marriage. Maybe your brother and sister, your uncle and aunt didn't have it. Maybe, as we discussed before, TV and movies never showed it to you. But I told you why. It's not because they don't exist. It's because they are boring. (laughs) This is why no TV shows happily... TV shows don't show happily married couples because that's boring. I told you, if you did a a TV show about my family, that would be boring. You just see people smiling all the time and talking nice to each other. But I want you to have that kind of a marriage. I want you to have a boring marriage. And a spectacularly fulfilling, drama-free, boring, satisfying, full of love kind of a marriage. And that's why we're doing this series. What we said in the beginning, quick recap of the series, As we started the first week by asking this question, asked it every week, are you the person the person you're looking for is looking for? Sounds complicated, isn't really that complicated. We said, the first week we debunked the right person myth. And we said our problem for so many of us, why we got ourselves into trouble in marriage, is because we believed a myth. And the myth was perpetuated by Walt Disney and all the people who made movies and, and even the children's stuff. Which is that if you just get the two right people in the same room together everything could be fine. If they can just get together, if you just find that right person, your soulmate, then everything will be fine. But we agree that is nothing but a, that's that's a fairy tale stuff. Because the truth of the matter is, we need to spend less time single people, less time looking for the right person and more time becoming the right person. And if you are spending all your time looking for the right person, you're probably going to miss out. Because the right person, guess what they're looking for? The right person So you'd be much better served to become the right person that the right person is looking for. You got that? Easy. And then we started to go week by week. We talked one week to the men, one week to the ladies, about what does it mean to become the right person? What is it that we need to start doing and stop doing to be prepared? And then last week, Michael brought it all home in a talk, which I'm glad I did not have to give, about the intimate side of marriage and about sexuality and about sex, both inside and outside of marriage, and the myths surrounding it, and the truth that God teaches us. That's the series so far. Today, like I said, Schmorgesborg, my final thoughts. I cannot end this series without getting this stuff out. I'm going to give one big idea in the beginning of this message, and then I'm going to break that big idea down into five, really six, but just we'll say five for now, specific applications. And those specific applications are going to be very specific and very, very particular. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat that I'm expecting that many people will disagree with the advice that I'm giving. I'm expecting that when I tell you the particulars, you're going to disagree with some of the stuff that I said. Especially, I bet you that most of the people who's going to disagree is going to be the singles. But we'll see together. I'm okay with you disagree with me. That's why we have the Q&A next week. You call me out on it. But at least listen to me all the way through and then we'll get to the end, and you tell me what you think. Okay, big idea. Take a step back. Big idea for today. Every day, not every day, every Saturday in this country, especially in the summertime, there are weddings. And weddings are the greatest show on earth. (laughs) People plan months, years, for their wedding. Spend insane amounts of money, Girl, dress up, white dress, look more beautiful than she ever looked before. Boy, never looked good a day in his life, but somehow they made him look good just for one day. (laughs) People come from all over. They take pictures. They take video. It's the happiest day in a person's life. Anytime there is a wedding in this country, there's a particular part of the wedding that people look most forward to. Now, this particular part does not exist in the Orthodox Church. And this is a surprise for most people when they come to me, those who have never seen an Orthodox wedding, they come to me and they say, about the vows. And they say, what do we do about the vows? What are the vows? And I always explain to them that there are no vows. They say, what do you mean there are no vows? I say, there are no vows. And they don't understand why there's no vows because everything that we, talk, that we see in the movies is the vows is the best. Uh, to have and to hold and the richer and the poor and the sick and the health and, to, you know, all that kinds of stuff till death do us part. And the vows. And we love the vows. Well, you know why the Orthodox Church has no vows? The Orthodox Church doesn't have vows. The Orthodox Church doesn't believe in a wedding is vowed to husband to wife. It believes it's a vow from man to God and God to man. There's the vows. There's no vow husband to wife, and I'll tell you why in a second. Married people will get what I'm about to say. Single people will not, but married people will, and stick with me on this one. You'll, you'll, stick with, you'll understand by the end. The reason we have no vows is this. Because as unromantic as it is about to sound, what I'm about to say, and as in, un-Disney-like and as whatever, promises are overrated, especially in marriage. Promises in marriage are overrated. Promises are overrated because no matter what you promise before you get married, you are not going to fulfill it. Sorry. Sorry to burst the bubble. The truth of the matter is, and again, married people, you will agree with me, that all the stuff that we promised before we got married, once we got married, we realized we can't do that. We can't do it. always honor you. Always respect you. Always love you. Can't do it. And no matter how much... Look, I'm not saying that we're lying before we get married. I'm not saying that we're trying to be deceiving before we get married. I'm saying we are making a vow to something that we simply cannot do. And it's not until we get married that we realize that everything I promised, I can't do. <laughs> it isn't sounding very hopeful for marriages then. So what does matter? If promises don't matter... What do we rely on when it comes to marriage? Well, here's our big idea for today. Promises are no substitute for preparation. Promises are no substitute for preparation. In every area of life, we believe in this, except when it comes to relationships. Except in relationships. For example, we just had up here, uh, Danny told y'all we have a 5K coming up soon. Some of you may have never run a day in your life. (laughs) You consider exercise going to get the remote control. That's your exercise. And you say, you know what? I feel very inspired by this announcement. I never exercised a day in my life. I promise I'm going to run this race. I'm going to tell you that promise is worthless because you are not prepared to do it. I promise I'm going to run a marathon. Okay, that's great. As long as I'm not prepared to do it, the promise has no meaning. Some people, when we were kids, I'm going to get, I promise mom, I'm going to get an A on this test. Okay, that promise has no value unless you prepare to take the test. I just came back from uh, two weeks in Kenya. That's the local language there, Swahili. I picked up probably three words in that time. I stand here to say, you know what? Next Sunday, I'm preaching in Swahili. <laughs> no, Father Anthony, you can't. No, I promise you have my word. I, I'll, I'll, I'll die, I, just, I, I can sign it, I'll swear in front of the court and I'll notary public, like whatever it takes. I promise, I promise, I promise. Next Sunday, I'll preach in Swahili. My promise has no value. Why? Because there's no preparation. I'm not prepared to speak in Swahili. Like I said, two weeks, three words. There's no chance by next Sunday I'll be able to do it. That's the state of many marriages today, is thinking back to promises. But you said you would. You said you'd never. You promised. You promised to control your temper. You promised that you'd respect me. You promised to stop calling your mom every day. <laughs> you promised. Truth of the matter is, we think the problem in marriages is, is lack of commitment. It isn't. It's lack of preparation. We meant it when we promised it, but what we didn't realize is we weren't prepared to actually do it. So because this series is titled Real Talk, I'm cutting to the chase. I'm going straight. Like I said, I've been gone for a few weeks. I'm... Promise, commitment, is irrelevant to most marriages. Sorry. I know. That's why I say you ain't making a movie out of what I'm talking about up here. (laughs) Because we love the promise. I'll be with you and I'll fight for you. We love that stuff. That's great. It makes great movies. That's not reality. The problem in most marriages today is it has nothing to do with promise, has nothing to do with commitment, has nothing to do with desire. That's what we focus on, but that's never the issue. We think that's the issue. Oh, if he loved me, oh if she respected me, oh if he wanted to, oh if she wanted to. That's that's not it. The problem is not the the promise. The problem is the lack of commit. The problem is lack of preparation for the commitment, not the commitment. We think because I say I do, means I can. But I do and I can are not the same. Andy Stanley, who wrote a book on which we're basing this series called uh, The New Rules on Love, Sex, Dating, he said it this way. He said, I do doesn't make you capable. It just makes you accountable. Which eventually makes you miserable, unless you figure out how to do it. I do doesn't make you capable. It just makes you accountable, which eventually leads to miserable, because that's what happens when we make a promise and we commit to something that we aren't able to do. Single people. One day, you're going to fall in love. And when you fall in love, there's going to be a very dangerous temptation for you. And that is to think that your ability is connected to your promise. Meaning that even though I am completely unprepared to be the man of the house, because I promised it, I'll somehow be able to do it or because I am, even though I'm completely unprepared to be a submissive, respectful wife, that somehow, because I promised it, I'll be able to do it. You will think that your promise will override your lack of preparation, and it won't. And even worse, single people, even worse, you will fall in love with someone who will convince you that their lack of preparation will mean nothing because of their promise. And if you do that, if you focus on the promise versus the preparation, not what they're doing, but what they're saying, if you do that, you're making a big mistake. You are setting yourself up for a big failure because that's the rule of life. Promises don't lead to results. Preparation does. Let's look at that from the Bible. Bible says it this way. I'm gonna bring you two verses from the book of Proverbs. book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. Okay, and every verse in Proverbs is like a contrast where it'll bring you, it'll have like a main message and it'll bring you like a plus side and a minus side of the same message. So look what Solomon the wise says here in Proverbs 14, verse eight. He says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. Let's define a couple terms. I wanna see what prudent means. I wanna see what ways means. What does prudent mean? The Bible talks about prudent. Prudent is like wise. It means someone who is prudent understands that life is not lived in vacuums. That life is connected. That as we said before, that what happens today will affect tomorrow. Because your present, remember this from week one, your present will one day become your past and will affect the rest of your future. That's a prudent person. A prudent person understands that things are not done in isolation. And if there is a certain set of behavior, like for example, if I'm standing here and I'm walking this direction, a prudent person knows that eventually I'm going to fall off the stage. That no matter where I live in the Northern Virginia, DC metropolitan area, that if I am going eastward, there's a great likelihood that if I keep going, I'm eventually going to hit the ocean. That's what a prudent person understands, that there's an ocean, And even though you don't see the Atlantic Ocean today, if your compass says east, it's just a matter of time before you hit the Atlantic Ocean. That's what a prudent person is. And a prudent person gets that way by examining what? By examining ways. What are ways? Ways are behaviors. Ways are actions. Ways are something that we all have, patterns of behavior. You have ways. And I have ways. And if we study each other's ways, we'll be able to predict each other's behavior. For example, you have a close friend. You've been friends since the time you were in seventh grade. Based on their ways, you'll be able to watch a movie and say, you know what? My friend will love this movie. Or my friend will hate this movie. How did you know that? Because of their ways. You'll be able to go to a restaurant, and before your dad has arrived, you'll be able to say, he's probably going to order this or this. Why? Because for 60 years, he's ordered the exact same thing every time he goes to a restaurant. That's his ways. You'll be able to have a question in your mind about relationships, and you will come ask me, and because you have listened to me and heard me and you understand my ways, you probably know what I'm going to say before I even say it. That's what a prudent person does. They understand ways. They understand that ways are more valuable than promises. But a fool... The folly of a fool is deception. Fools are the opposite. Fools say that even though all the steps are going east, no, 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 no. Magically, somehow, I'm sure, we're going to end up over there. A fool thinks that even though every, every, my past behavior is all moving this way, that I'm sure, no, no, somehow, maybe I'm going to end up over there. No, I'm sure it'll all work out somehow. I'm sure I'll figure it out when I get near the end. A fool deceives himself. A fool deceives himself. Ends up deceiving others as well. Which are you? Prudent fool. Prudent look at ways. Fools look at promises. A few verses later, verse 15. Same thing. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Single people. Watch me on this one. Single people. One day you will fall in love she's going to be the best or he's going to be the best and head over heels and love and chemistry and we have a favorite song and it's our song and whatever. whatever and when that happens, single people you will believe anything you will believe that even though Everything in his past, or her past, I'm going to use it interchangeably, okay? I, I find myself usually talking about the guy, but that's just because I'm a guy. Everything in his past says, this isn't going to work. You'll believe anything when he says, no, 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 baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going to be different once we get married. Same thing he promised to the last girl, and the last girl, and the last girl. But this time is different, because they all say the 16th time is the charm. (laughs) Me, as a spiritual father, let me tell you what breaks my heart. This happens all the time. Nothing breaks my heart more when I care about you. I care about you. Believe me, I care. I got no horse in this race. I got no agenda. I got the best wife in the whole wide world. Okay, you can't take her, so I really don't care who you marry after this. Nothing pains me more than when I see it and your parents see it and your friends see it, but you can't see it. And then you come to me and I can see it a mile away. The most painful thing is to sit there and listen to you explain away the bad behavior of your boyfriend or girlfriend. No, 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 I know, and he did... But he's just, he's had really bad luck. Bad luck? No, 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 I know that, that, that you know, he, he got no job, and he got no future, he got no degree, but, but, but we have a song. <laughs> a song? <laughs> you just don't understand him, Father Anthony. Trust me, it'll be okay. Nothing is more painful. Nothing is more painful. Nothing is more painful, and forgive me for the expression, nothing is more stupid. Because the epitome of stupidity is to see a brick wall in front of you and just and just hope that it's going to change by the time you run into it. What do you believe? You believe ways or you believe promises? You believe steps or you believe words? I believe steps. I believe patterns. I believe I believe that that, that the paths that you walk on. Yesterday and the day before and the day before are the best indicator of where you're going to be tomorrow. And you choose to believe in a song. We have the same favorite color. Our initials are the same. Gotta be from God. Book the church now. You laugh, but I'm telling you, this is reality. You laugh. This is reality. And this is the reality that I see with people is that we focus more on the promises than we do on their steps. Our main idea is said in a different way. The paths people choose trump the promises they make. Single people, tattoo this on your forehead. The paths people choose trump the promises they make. Promises, when it comes to marriage, forgive me, are way, way, way overrated. Anyone can promise change. Anyone can promise that it's going to be okay. Show me their paths. Show me their steps. And I will tell you where they're going to end up. As simple as that. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of today. That's our big idea. Now I'm going to go specifics. And I'm going to go five, really six, but one is for guys, one is for girls. So five for each of you. Five specific applications of how you need to get your steps, your ways, your paths in order and, like everything is dual, on you should be fixing and you should be looking for. But I believe the two work hand in hand. I believe that when I get myself in order, I'm more likely to attract people with the same habits. Like, if I'm moving in this direction, I'm more likely going to attract people who are also moving this direction. But as, mu- as I move here, it's unlikely that people moving there, that I'll be attracted to them. So it's, it's on both fronts. I need to move this way and also be looking for people moving in the same direction to get connected to. Five challenges, five commitments, or not five commitments, five applications that I want you to commit to so that when you get to the time of being ready for marriage or ready, for, or ready to take that step, then it's not a promise. It's not a promise. It's a path that you've already taken. Deal? Okay. I'm going to go through these kind of quick. Number one, get involved in your church. And if you are involved, write more involved. Actually, everyone write more because no matter where you are, become more involved. Become more involved in your church. And why do I say that that matters? What difference does it make if I'm involved in church? What difference does it make if I go to church once a week, once a month, if I do a life group, if I volunteer? Well, what difference does any of that stuff make? Uh, look, I'll tell you what it makes. I Again, where you spend your time is where you are going to find the people that you're going to connect with. So nothing is dumber to me, forgive me, Nothing is dumber to me than people who go to bars to meet their future spouse. You, listen, be honest with yourself. Say, I'm going to a bar just because I'm bored and I got nothing better to do. Just say it that way. But you tell me that I'm intentionally going to a bar to meet someone. There's nothing dumber than that in the whole wide world. Because do you want someone whose path is hanging out in bars to marry that person? But don't worry, once they get married, they are not going to hang out in bars. That's not how it works. If the path is bars, the future is bars. Find someone whose path is in church. How do you find someone whose path is in church? Be in church. And I'm telling you this. Married people, y'all will agree with me on this one. You can do things during your single years that you can't do when you're married. You can do things during your single years that you can't do when you're married. This is the time, as King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. (laughs) I'm not saying this verse is specifically about marriage. (laughs) But it's the truth, is that when you are single, you have the capacity to do more. You have the capacity to be in church on Sunday, and then go to a Bible study on Tuesday, and then volunteer for this whatever thing on Wednesday, and then take part in this thing on Friday. Like, you have the capacity to do more. You have the capacity to be super, super, super involved. And I'm telling you, it is, I'm, mark my words, it is a mistake if you choose to not remember your creator and be very actively involved in the church during these days of singleness, Because there will come a point in time, there will come a point in time where you are married and you don't have the same ability. Because you've got commitments, you've got responsibilities, you've got children, you've got stuff. So this is the time to build that relationship. Why? I could go in many different directions with this, but I'm gonna choose one specific direction, okay? I could talk about the importance of volunteering, okay, and serving, and not just living for yourself during this time, and not just life is all about what do I want to do on a Friday night? How about, what, what, what does someone else need me to do on a Friday night? And it shouldn't just always be about what is the church doing for me, but what can I do for the church? Because I know it's a limited period of time where I have all this energy and all this time, and this is where the best, I promise you, the best marriages were formed in church, the best marriages we formed in church relationships. But I don't want to go that direction. I want to go in a different direction. And this is a little bit of a personal rant, so forgive me. Like I said, I've been holding it for so many weeks. So it's coming out today. We need guidance all of our lives, but especially when we're single. We always need guidance. We always need a spiritual father. We always need someone to direct our way, but especially when we're single. And it is a mistake, single people, when you neglect to be very connected to your spiritual father and receiving guidance during your single years. The rest of your life will be determined by the decisions you make in these next, whatever, I don't know how old you are, five, ten years. Let's say ten years. The decisions you make in these next ten years will guide the rest of your life. Like I chose to marry Mary Ann. And because I married Mary Ann, I know where the rest of my life is going to go. There's very little deviation. We're always going to be in church. We're always going to be serving God. God is always going to be number one. Because I received guidance during this time, and I connected with someone who's going in this direction, then my life, there's very little deviation. But when you're single, there's all kinds of options. There's bar options. There's church options. There's work options. There's uh, school options, career options. There's so many options. And I'm telling you, be smart. Be connected to your spiritual father during this time. You need the guidance. You need someone who can think objectively and see objectively and help guide you when you're making these difficult decisions. And, again, here comes the rant part. Forgive me on this one. One of the things that pains me is when single people come to me under the guise of asking advice. And they talk 90% of the time And I talk 10% of the time. And that's asking advice? Or is that justifying your own behavior? Imagine if you treated your advisor at school or at work the way you treated your spiritual advisor. That you came in, you booked a half hour meeting, you talked for 25 minutes, told them how great the decisions you're making are. And anytime he tried to tell you, well, maybe that's not the best idea. You made excuses, you justified, you rationalized, you did all this kinds of stuff to tell him how great your plan is. And then he tries to tell you, well, maybe not. And you walk out of there and say, he just doesn't understand me. Well, maybe the point wasn't for him to understand you. Maybe the point was you to understand him. Forgive me, forgive me. I'm saying this because I care. I'm saying this because I care because something happens to us in those single years. We think we know it all and we think we got it all figured out. I'm telling you, you're making a grave mistake. I'm not saying this for me. I'm not saying everyone come ask my advice. I'm saying whoever's your spiritual advisor, whoever's your father of confession, whoever's the person that you rely on, you, you, you need one. If you need one at work and you need one in your college and you need one in every area of your life, doctors have the, the advisor, resident guy, or whatever it is. Like everyone has a coach. Who's your coach? The rest of your life, you can get by by being a little bit distant from your coach. But during your single years, you cannot make the investment, single people. Be heavily involved with your spiritual father. All right? That's number one. Okay? Number, these are completely unrelated things. This is just me ranting, okay? Like I said, okay? Number two. A little lighter note. <laughs> Address unresolved childhood issues. <laughs> Address unresolved childhood issues. This is a gigantic topic, which I will just mention and skim the surface on. But I am telling you, why I'm telling you this, because I sit with married people, and I'm telling you, if you don't resolve the unresolved childhood issues before marriage, you will spend a lot of time, a lot of money in counseling, and a lot of pain and headache fixing them on the other side of marriage. Let's get them resolved beforehand. A famous Christian author named Les... Parrot and his wife Leslie wrote a book, and this is what they wrote about this. It says, if you attempt to build intimacy with a person before you've done the hard work of becoming a whole and healthy person, every relationship will be an attempt to complete the hole in your heart. My own summary of that. If you have an issue between you and a parent, and you don't resolve it before you get married, it ain't going away. It's only gonna get more complicated and it's gonna resurface in marriage. How? Let me take that quote and show it to you in picture format. All right? I'm gonna show you a diagram right here. There's you, there's your parent. The lightning bolt is the issue. Whatever the issue may be, your parents divorced and you resent them for it. Your dad was a control freak and never give you any responsibility, that's fine. Your mom was overbearing, and you're just bitter towards me. She always worried about you and made you just like an uptight parent. Like whatever issue it may be. Single people, you always think that you don't have any issues. Most single people would say they don't have any issues with, with their parent. And that may be true, but it may not be true. And when you get married, here's what's going to happen. Okay, watch what I'm going to do next. I'm going to show you the second part of this diagram. i to show you the second part of this diagram. Married people... Married people is going to take every ounce of self-control in you to not look at your spouse, nudge him with the elbow. So just like everyone looks straight ahead, okay? No, elbowing, like save it for the car ride home, ready? If you have an issue with a parent and you get married, whatever that resent, bitterness, anger, whatever it may be, once you get married, Your spouse is drinking it. Your spouse becomes the recipient. And you may never realize it. And she may never realize it. But whatever it was that you hated about your mother or father, it's now their fault. And they have no clue. No clue. Completely blindsided. I don't know what I did. Well, it is five minutes late, he went crazy. All I did was, you know, call me when you get there. And she went ballistic. I'm not going to go further into this, because I could spend, like, this is a whole six-week series, okay, at addressing childhood issues. I'm not going to really get into this right now, because I, I can't really address it. But I, I will just say this, is that many married couples today are fighting their spouse over something that their spouse had nothing to do with. And they're fighting their spouse on an issue that took place many years before that they never resolved with a mother or father and has become the spouse's fault 100%. If that's you, if that's you, whether you're single or married, then I have a recommendation for you. Again, I can't solve your problem, but I have a recommendation for you that I would strongly encourage you to do. There's a great book. It's called Life's Healing Choices, all right? Written by a guy named John Baker. I highly recommend you to read this book I looked last night. You can put it $9.99 on Kindle, or if you're willing to go paperback, used copy, you go $3.99 on Amazon. All right? It's to be the best $10 you ever spent. And if you saying, bills and this, and I can't afford it, come to me, read the book, give me the receipt, I'll give you the $10. Oh, I'll give you the 4 bucks. Okay, get the used one, okay, if you can't afford it. <laughs> you owe it to yourself to at least stir it up and see Is there any issue in there? You owe it to yourself and you owe it to your future spouse to see, is there anything in there, any resentment, any bitterness, any anger that may resurface when I get married? Good? Number three. Gentlemen, you can take a break. and we talk to the ladies here. Ladies, don't dress like a commodity. Don't, Michael spoke about this in week two. Don't. Dress like a commodity. We talked about it to the men and saying don't treat him like a commodity. Well, I'm saying, ladies, help your brother out. Don't dress like a commodity, and don't you ever accept being treated like one. Why? We agreed we believe in paths, not promises. Whatever habits begin in dating will continue in marriage. Marriage is not going to be the end of the habits. It's actually just the beginning of the habits. And whatever you established before will continue after you get married. Ladies, maybe you've never gone fishing before, but you can help me out with this one. How do fishermen determine what bait to put on the end of their hook? Like when a fisherman goes fishing, there's different kinds of bait. There's worms, there's grubs, there's... Steak and cheese. I, I don't know what they put on there. I'm not a fishing guy. Whatever. There's a different bait. How do you determine what bait to put on the end of the stick? What you're fishing for. Whatever you're trying to attract, you put the bait in order to attract that particular kind of fish. Ladies, if you fish with your bodies, what will you attract? Body snatchers. If you fish with your body, you will attract men who only care about your body. Logic. And then what you're going to do is you're going to say, all men are the same, and all men are pigs, and all men are... And the truth is, most of them maybe are, okay, but not all of them are. But the ones you attract are, because let me tell you a little secret. You say all men are the same. What is in common between your last boyfriend and you... And that boyfriend and you, and that boyfriend and you, and that boyfriend and you. What do all those boyfriends have in common? (laughs) You, congratulations. (laughs) It ain't them, it's you. And you could sit there and say how they're all the same, and they're all the same. They're not all the same. If you value your body the most, don't be surprised if you find men who value your body the most too. And I'll add this, ladies, sorry to say. If you catch him with your body, you must keep him with your body. If your body is what you use to catch him, your body is what you're gonna have to use to keep him. And sorry to say that as pretty and as cute as you are today, let me just back out of that one. <laughs> Let's go on guys. <laughs> Number three B. Let's go to the men. (laughs) I ain't no fool. I ain't no fool. I ain't no fool. Men, get out of debt. With the love of God, men, get out of debt. Get out of debt, men. Get your finances in order. Stop acting like little boys and become a man. Now, you're sitting there and saying, okay, Father Anthony, we know you're cheap. Okay, so you're just using this as a chance to preach your cheap gospel, okay? I promise you, in front of God, I promise you, this has nothing to do with money. This has everything to do with principle. I don't care about money. I care about maturity and selfishness. And a single person who is in debt, now obviously there's exceptions, there's Obviously, I, I know single people who are taking care of their parents, who have had illnesses, who are like medical school. Like, those are differences. Like, I, those are exceptions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you've had a job for five years, and you're in debt every year more than the year before. I'm talking about you make this much, and you spend this much. That is not a money issue. That is a sign when you are single and you are in debt, that you are immature and you are selfish. You are saying that I cannot wait to have that. I want that now, and I will have that now, and I don't care the repercussions for tomorrow. I don't care, if this costs $100, I'm willing to pay $120 in interest in order to have my toy today. And I'm telling you, especially for the men, ladies, listen to me carefully on this one, that marriage for men, marriage for me, like for everyone, but especially for men. I always tell my children, what does it mean to be a father? It means you sacrifice for the rest of the family. That's what it means to be a man. It means when there's three Oreos left and there's four of us, mom, kid, kid, dad, no Oreo. That's what it means. And you convince them that you don't even want the Oreo. That's what it means to be a father. That's what it means to be a man. And I'm telling you that being in debt as a single person shows the exact opposite of what it takes to be a good husband. It shows that you're not mature. It shows that you're selfish. You care about yourself. Now, you sitting there and saying, and I know you hate my guts for saying this. I understand that. But I'm, 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 I'm not saying this out of anything other than my love for you. Married, don't just ask me. Ask the married people in the room. Married people. Is it easier to get out of debt when you are married? Like once you're married, then it will be no problem getting out of debt. Man, if you can't get out of debt as a single person, you got no shot as a married person. You got no shot. This has nothing to do with money. Everything to do with character. Because how I manage money is a path. It's a way. It's a behavior that it will lead to other predictable behaviors. And if I cannot manage my finances, and I cannot say, not now. If I cannot (laughs) self-control, promise all you want. I'll go for ways. Now, for you who are sitting there and saying, Father Anthony, you're being a little bit tough right here. Like, everyone has credit card debt. What's the big deal? Look, let let me tell you this. For those of you who think this is too hard, this doesn't happen in our generation, you know what You know what would change your way of thinking? Let's say today you found the right person, and she said, I'll only marry you if you get out of debt. You think you'd find a way to get out of debt? You think you could, in that situation, when you found the one, and she says, I won't talk to you until you get out of debt. You think you find a way? Absolutely, you find a way you become much more creative when you have that motivation. Our problem is not that we can't get out of debt. Our problem is we're not motivated. And actually, here's the problem with all my advice today, and I realize this as I'm, I'm doing this. Married people are listening to me right now very intently. Very <laughs> intently. Because you are in the fire. <laughs> and when you're in the fire, you're looking for anything any get out. Single people, this is the least motivated you will ever be but this is the right time to solve it. You have no fire right now. You have nothing breathing down your neck. But I'm telling you, when you're married, you're motivated, but it's all, I don't want to say it's too late because it's never too late. But now is the time to address these things. And even though you're not motivated, trust me, now is the time to get yourself out of debt. You say it's too hard. I say you just haven't tried hard enough yet. And if you had that motivation, you could pack a lunch instead of buy a lunch. You could... Drink the free coffee at work instead of stop by Starbucks. The the, the poor, free coffee people. (laughs) Man, I'm telling you, if it takes moving back in with mama, you go move back in with mama. You get out of debt. You be a man of character. Now, ladies, a little something for you. If you're dating someone right now who's in debt, who hates my guts right now, You have a tough decision to make. You can believe his promise, and that's fine. But don't say I didn't warn you. I'll tell you how I would advise you. My advice to you. You do what you want. I would advise you to go to this stunning young man and tell him simply, get out of debt, and then we'll talk. And if he says that he can't, or he won't, then you have to question the guy that you're married. This is not a money issue. This is a maturity issue. This is a selflessness issue. This is a, do I really need that motorcycle? Or can I get by with a bus ticket? maturity issue. Connected to that one, back to all people together, number four, break your bad habits. And this, I know, this is a big topic. But again, I'm just, I'm going all over the place here. And I told you in advance, I'm just, I'm spewing out stuff. Break your bad habits, break whatever it may be. And I I don't want to address whatever the bad habit is, but just whatever just break it. And the reason why I say it, break your bad habits, is because marriage doesn't solve bad habits. That's the myth that we believe that when I get married, it'll solve this. Actually, marriage actually only makes it worse. Marriage magnifies who you were as single. So if you had bad habits, they usually get worse in marriage. If you had good habits, they maybe get better in marriage. Marriage just takes who you are and adds another person that will get affected by it. You drink too much. Now's the time to address it. You, you play video games all day and all night. Now's the time to look into that. Is that healthy? You gamble. You worry. You smoke. Like, whatever it is. You don't eat healthy. You spend money like it's water. Like, you're rude to your mom. Like, whatever it is. This is a, a big umbrella of whatever bad habits you have is only going to get worse once you get married. So be smart. Address it now. Why should you address it now? Because remember the right person myth? You know that right person out there who you're waiting for? what do you hope he or she is doing today? Don't you hope that they're doing that today, like addressing their bad habits for you? Don't you hope that if like they have an anger issue, they're working on it now? That if they have a respect issue, they're working on it now? That if they play video games too much, that they're hopefully like weaning themselves off it now? So become that right person that's working on yourself for the sake of the other one. Some people think to themselves, I have this bad habit, but once I get married, that'll solve it. Because I'll have someone to help me. Once I get married, then I'll be able to solve it because someone will be there to help me and pray with me and support me. You're not getting married to a counselor. You're not getting married to someone to, to advise you and, and help you break your habits. You're getting married to someone to help them, to love them, to cherish them, to honor them. To sacrifice yourself for them. That's someone who could counsel you and Married people agree with me on this one. If you think you got problems when you're single, <laughs> you ain't even seen problems <laughs> till you get married. And that's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. Okay? That's it on that one. Last one. And this is the one for sure. Even if you agree with me on everything else, you're going to throw something at me. Like, if you haven't disagreed with me yet, you're gonna disagree with me by this one, for sure. Single people, you're gonna hate my guts after this one. Get rid of the physical stuff. Get rid of the physical stuff. Get rid of the physical stuff. And I'm about to be about as bold and as, as, as harsh as I can be, but you know what, I can say this because I'm saying this to everyone at the same time, so what I don't have the guts to say to you one-on-one, I'll say it all together. When I fa- say physical stuff, I am not talking about sex. I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about everything leading up to sex. You thought I was gonna say get rid of the sex. You say that's hard. I'm saying everything that leads up to it because we talked about sex last week. I'm talking about everything that leads up to it. And I don't need to define it or draw a picture for you. But I will say that when you are dating, when you are single, the goal is zero physical stuff. Now you say, hey, wait a minute. Father Anthony, welcome to 2015. Like what's life like back in 1952 where you're living? Okay, (laughs) this 2015. You may call me old-fashioned. You may disagree with what I'm saying. But if you do, I want you to listen carefully to me here. I got two things you don't have. I have two things you don't have. Single people. I got two things you don't have. You disagree with me? Let me tell you about these two things that I have that you don't have. Number one, I got 14 years experience as a priest listening to married couples. And I promise you, I have never once, never once in 14 years heard anyone say, I wish, I wish, I wish we had been more physical before we got married. That really would have been the best. Pumpkin, I'm so glad you got that experience. (laughs) I never heard one person say they wish They had been more physical before they got married. You know what they say? They say the exact opposite. They say the physical was the worst thing that ever happened to us. Because what physical does is it leads to a false sense of intimacy and closeness. And you feel close to that person because you're doing stuff that only married people should do. So you feel like married people close, but you ain't married people close because you don't even know who he is. And instead of getting to know the real him or her, like I said, it goes both ways. You settle for just the physical stuff. And then you get married. And then you discover, I don't have any idea who I married. Because I never got to know him. And ladies, let me tell you why, especially for you, because the only time a man is motivated to actually talk is in the dating period. I'm not saying they don't talk after marriage, but they ain't motivated to talk after marriage. And if you just go straight to the physical, you will marry someone that you have no idea who he is. And you'll spend the rest of your life trying to discover something that he just simply ain't motivated to tell you. So number one, I got 14 years experience talking to married couples. Second thing I got that you don't have is I got 14 and a half years being married to the best wife in the whole wide world. <laughs> and I say that not to say I'm great, or she's great, but I mean that, what what I'm trying to say, and I hope I can express this, is is I got 14 and a half years, and yeah, we got problems, and we fight, and there's times we hate each other's guts, and I hate her, and she hates me. I'm not saying that we have like something, uh, I'm not saying it like that. But what I'm saying is, we have a marriage that I feel 100% convinced is blessed by God. And I feel God's blessing. What I always tell single people is, if you had, on this side, God's blessing, And you had on this side, all the money, all the pleasure, all the riches, all the promotion, all the everything in the world on this side, man, you don't even think twice. You throw that away and you take this because God's blessing, God's blessing in your household with your children, with your wife, with your husband is more valuable than anything else in this world. And I would do anything to protect it and keep it and throw everything else away. The number one way you lose the blessing of God in a relationship is to get into the physical stuff before marriage. The number one way you lose the blessing of God in a relationship is you get into the physical stuff before marriage. And again, I ain't talking about sex. I'm talking about everything that leads up to sex. You say we don't want to have sex before we get married. Then I say, why you rev the engine if you ain't gonna drive the car? Tell you about my marriage. And I can say this, thankfully, Marianne is not here in this room right now, so I can say it without getting embarrassed, because I would get very embarrassed. She would get even more embarrassed by what I'm about to say. When we were dating, and I may have told, I've told this story to certain single people along the way when I'm trying to convince them of this point. When we were dating, we had dated, we didn't date for, we didn't have a very long period of dating, okay? But um, it was a Friday night, I remember it. And at the time, she had to work late at work, and she had worked till like 9 o'clock or whatever it is. And I, used to serve with, like, the youth ministry over at St. Mark's. So I was doing the youth meeting. And then after finished up that, I went to meet her at work. And I said I'd bring her, like, dinner or flowers or whatever Whatever it was. It was Taco Bell. It was Friday. So it was Taco Bell. So well, it, it, I'm not saying it was anything romantic. So anyway, I bring her the Taco Bell. And I call her. And it's, like, 930. And I'm down in the parking lot. And I tell her, you know, whenever you finish, come down. We'll eat Taco Bell in the car and, you know, go our way. And we sat there. And we had a very nice time as, as, most of our dates were simple like that, okay. And we just sitting in the parking lot and just having a great time, and, and at the end of the night, okay, like I hugged her. That's it. I hugged her. Nothing. It was the first time I'd ever hugged her. And next day, I called her and I told her, like, you wouldn't think I'm insane in the brain right now, okay, but what I'm about to say. But it's true. I called and told her, I said, you know. Last night when we hugged, she's like, yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't think we should do that again. She said, okay, why? So because that hug, nah, did stuff in my head. So I said, let's not hug anymore. She said, okay. And we didn't hug and we didn't touch. We didn't kiss, we did not nothing until we got married. And I'm telling you, you think that's crazy? You think that's insane? I'm telling you, the reason we have God's blessing in our marriage today is because of that decision. I had no doubt about it. The reason that I know, like I said, we hate each other's guts sometimes. Don't think we never fight. We fight. We have all the same problems that everyone else does. But what we have, in addition to the problems that everyone else has, we have the blessing of God. Because I feel like when you tell God, God, I will honor you, even when it is insane. Like even I'm embarrassed to say the story I just said. Like I feel embarrassed. That was the story I just said. Like I could bring a five-year-old and he would laugh at me like... (laughs) (laughs) But it's worth it for the blessing of God. How much, how valuable is God's blessing to you? How valuable is God's blessing to you? I tell this to single people, they think I'm crazy. I say, I ain't doing this for myself. Like, what do I gain? Like, what's in it for me? Whether you kiss her or don't kiss her, like, what do I care? I don't care. I have a wife. I can kiss her. (laughs) I ain't saying this for me. I'm saying this because I care about you. My advice? Get rid of the physical stuff. Where do we draw the line? Draw it at zero. You say, well, can't we? And what if? And a little bit... Again, I'll give you another analogy. If I got a door and that door is latched closed and the wind blows, what's gonna happen? Nothing. Wind blows harder, nothing. Wind blows harder, nothing. What happens if I open it just a crack and then that wind blows? There are many couples who are stronger than you who opened the door a crack and regretted what they did. They are strong, like you think you are strong? There are couples who are more spiritual than you, stronger than you, more self-controlled than you, and they thought we could just open it a crack. And I'm telling you, I don't want to give examples because I don't want to say anything, but I'm telling you couples who kept themselves, kept themselves, kept themselves, opened the door a crack. And I can't tell you the pain and regret that that causes for those couples. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. You're married, you made mistakes, you're single. Like, we all make mistakes. I'm not saying there's no guilt, no condemnation. Anything in Christ, we can put it back together. But my question to you single people, why do you want to have to put something back together? Why do you want to have to put something back together? Why not keep it whole from the start? And on top of that, if you're with someone, if you agree with what I'm saying, but you're with someone who doesn't, and they're pushing you like, "Ah, no, no, Father Anthony's a crazy man. Like, look at the way he's dressed. Like, uh, he had no choice." <laughs> if you are pushing someone, if someone, if someone's pushing you, let me tell you some statistics here—not statistics, but just facts. The men and women who are the most promiscuous before marriage are also the most promiscuous after marriage. This fact. If you're with someone who doesn't want to have self-control before marriage, but they promise you they'll have self-control after marriage, I go with patterns. I go with preparation. Only a fool would take a promise over that. I'm done. i Last verse, okay, and I already this is just to sum it all up, all right? Ecclesiastes 12:1. remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. I know I gave you some advice, and I know you may disagree with it. Like, I am not condemning anyone. I'm not here to judge anyone. I'm not here to tell you that you're bad or that you never have good. I'm not saying it like that. I'm trying to draw for you. This is what you should be aiming for. And you say, I ain't there. And I say, then thank God you're single. This is what we need. This is our agenda for singleness is to get there and take it one by one and get to that point you become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. If you disagree with me, my first advice to you: if you're single and you disagree with me, go talk to a married person. Find me a married person who says, you know what? I wish I had more debt going into marriage. That, w- that would have been a good idea. Find me a married person who says, you know what? I wish I had just gotten him to like be more focused on my body versus my brain. Like, find me a married person who disagrees with me. You're single, you disagree. That's fine. You're single. Find me a married person who disagrees with me. Go talk to married people and see if they agree with my advice or not. And I bet you they tell you the same thing I'm telling you. But there's another group that may disagree with me, and I want to speak lastly to this group. There's a group that disagrees with me, not because you don't think what I'm saying is right, but because you don't think you can do it. And it's easier, if I don't think I can accomplish this, it's easier just to disagree with it. It's easier than to say, I think this is right and I can't accomplish it. So I say, I just disagree with you. If that's you, let me tell you, you're not alone. This is what the church is here for. The reason we exist as a church is to be a body. We're there for one another. Don't think that you're ever alone. Don't think that I'm sitting here and saying, you ain't getting married to a girl in this church unless you fix yourself. I'm saying, come, let's talk. I'm here to help you. Talk to your brothers and sisters. We're all here to help you. Talk to your Father in heaven. He's here to help you. All of us married people, I'm speaking on behalf of all the married people here, we love you single people. We love you. And we want you to have the best marriage. We want you to have the best, most fulfilling, satisfying, full of love, full of passion, full of everything marriage. But we know it ain't going to be easy. So that's why we're telling you what we're telling you. Too many people aren't reaching for that marriage. We've kind of settled in on ordinary. And I hope through this series that you've seen that you can have a God-honoring marriage. You can have the best marriage. And no one has to no settle for less than best when it comes to God. But you need to be prepared to do the things to get you there. All right? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage that you have given to us. First gift you gave to Adam, Lord, was a wife to complete him. We thank you that you give us a chance to to participate in this mystery of marriage. Lord, we're all praying, especially for the single people, that you would help them to make wise choices, that they would be prudent in studying, not promises, but studying preparation and studying paths, that you'd help us all to get our own steps in order. And that you'd help every person who's looking for, for a, a partner to unite with. You'd help them find someone who can lead them closer to you and provide for them that perfect marriage that you have in store for them. Pray, Lord, for everyone here who is, is confused when it comes to relationships or struggling or is in need of support or encouragement or whatever it may be. Pray that you would, you, you would work in their lives and you'd guide them, Lord, to the perfect plan that you have for their lives. Pray these things in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.